Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Monday, April 20th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to dig into what investors need to know from the latest big banks' earnings reports. We have a couple of listener questions to get to. And of course, we've always got a couple of radar stocks, a couple of stocks that we're watching for you this coming week. Joining me, as always, certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Pretty good. Well, the weather's not so great, but... No. Eh. Eh, you know, you it's it's a little bit uh, overcast. You know what? It's it's a little bit cooler. I think people are ready for it to warm up, but we've gone through a little bit of a cool spill up here in Virginia, and it sounds like uh, South Carolina's a lot of the same. Yeah, we're getting rain and cold. Eesh. Well, you know, at least we get something to look forward to. At some point, it will be spring, and I think, you know, it seems like spring, it almost doesn't even exist anymore. It's like we go from winter into summer, and I don't know what, what happened to spring. And now there's no Masters tournament, so then we don't get Augusta. <laughs> Oh, March Madness. I mean, come on now. Hey, did you? I saw. Speaking of March Madness, and, and by the way, I don't know if you caught any of that uh, Last Dance uh, Michael Jordan documentary last night, the Bulls documentary. But I watched the first episode of that last night. That was really good. Um, but I saw an interesting uh, tweet. I think it was from Kenny Smith uh, on Twitter, former former Tar Heel, and he suggested that at some point you just need to gather all of the NBA teams. And, and go in for a single el- elimination tournament, you know, do it in, in, in somewhere confined where they can test everybody, and it would be no fans, of course, but you would have it televised, and you run like a two-week tournament where it's just a single elimination, kind of like a March Madness, except for the NBA. I, I thought that was a great idea. I'd watch every game of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was hearing something. Where are they going to hold it in Vegas, I think it was, yeah, what they were talking they, about? They were, that, was, that was what they were talking about. Uh, I mean, the, I, I was reading an article that the sports bettors are getting so desperate, they're betting on things like... <laughs> They're betting on things like table tennis and. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, you should. We got to turn a corner here soon, man. Everybody's going <laughs> I crazy. <hear> you. <laughs> well, let's dive into what listeners are really here for, Matt, and that is uh, we want to talk about financials. We want to talk about earnings season. Last week we had a lot of of big banks uh, report earnings, and we're going to focus our conversation today really on the big three, and J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo and Bank of America, uh, because those earnings reports came out. There wasn't a lot in the way of, of surprises, right? I mean, we knew going into this earnings season it was going to be bad. Um, I, I tend to think that maybe next earnings season is going to be a little bit more important, because it's going to give us some context. We'll understand how bad things really are now, or, or really were, if, if they are you know, improving next, next earnings season. But, but let's take a look at these banks and talk about, about these reports for a little bit. Because you know, one of the things I was thinking, thinking about going into this earnings season was that, regardless of the numbers that they were they turned in, it seems to me, at least, that one of the byproducts of the Great Recession, uh, it could be argued, at least, is that it put our major financial institutions on firmer footing. From a capital perspective, I think maybe it it gave them the opportunity to be a little bit more prepared for uh, future challenges like like we're running into now. Um, but but what 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 sum this earnings season up for us so far? When when it comes put in the context of these three banks, sum this earnings season up for us so far. Well, as far as just earnings in the business themselves, most of these look actually fairly decent. You got to remember, January and February were pretty normal months, yeah. and 
and I mean, the first part of March was for the most part too. I mean, it was, the first part of March, I mean, we were still traveling. We were still, it was business as usual in most parts of the country for the first week or two. Yeah. It wasn't until I, I want to say, um, I want to say South Carolina did our, our big shutdown on March 16th. I was working in, in my office up until then. Um, so you got to remember, there was just a little bit of the actual effects of this that were reflected in the earnings. Yeah. The big issue that really scared investors, if you um, banks were some of the worst performing stocks last week, um, but the market did actually fairly well last week, but bank stocks just took a nosedive. But when we look at the interest rate environment, that's not that surprising, right? I mean, it's kind of a no, one-two punch I mean, there. Earnings dropped a little bit. I, I mean, the interest rate environment's awful for these banks. We're going to see that really baked in and starting in the second quarter. Yeah. Because again, remember, like January, February, pretty normal when it came to interest rates. Now it's so it's really just the March numbers we're seeing reflected. Um, but we're, the real thing that scared investors, like the reason the stocks tanked, is because of all these loan reserves. Um, that was I yeah you said it reserves that was the that was the word that I I took away from from this season that was the word it seemed like was most commonly used in the earnings calls right I mean it, like here take J P Morgan for example they generally in a quarter set aside somewhere like you know a billion a billion and a half for loan losses I mean these banks have massive loan portfolios inevitably some people aren't going to be able to make their payments some loans are going to get charged off. So banks set aside reserves to deal with this. This quarter, J.P. Morgan increased their loan reserves by six point eight billion dollars as compared to the first quarter of last year. Yeah, it, that's a huge number. That means this is telling people that the banks are expecting a big wave of loan defaults. Again, we haven't seen them yet. You haven't seen. Lo- I mean, especially the first quarter ended March thirty first. No one was having trouble paying their bills by then. I think it's fair to say. You know, I mean, bills, loan bills are due once a month. Everyone was, you know, well, not everybody, but you know, for the for the most part, it wasn't really reflected in the March numbers. So you're going to see going forward, and the question is how how much help are the people going to get from the government that you know with stimulus payments on a, the enhanced unemployment benefits under the CARES Act, things like that. How much is that going to help people keep their financial obligations going, and how much will we see this suffer? Because, I mean, you got to remember that, you know, Chase is a giant credit card portfolio. That's a very, you know, susceptible thing to recessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if this is a deep recession, these banks could, could see, you know, loss, loans losses just skyrocket like we did in the financial crisis. Hopefully it won't be the case and that this is kind of an over-preparation that, yeah, and that's what I was thinking, you know, because I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the reserves because I, I, I went through, I saw that number in the JP Morgan call. I was looking through Bank of America. They built their reserves up by $3.6 billion. And, and actually, now since year end, they've built their reserves up uh, close to $7 billion. And um, I mean, Wells Fargo is obviously very much the same. Wells is in a little bit of a different position because they're trying to manage themselves through some restrictions on the Fed side. Um, but I, I, so one of the things I like to I like to look for language in these earnings calls because it gives me an idea of what really the point of focus is. And so I went through, you know, J.P. Morgan's earnings call this quarter versus the same quarter a year ago, and that word reserve. Was mentioned 33 times this quarter in J.P. Morgan's call. Now that compares to just nine times a year ago. Yeah, the, uh, the, the reserves are definitely weighing on people's minds, and it's interesting you brought up the Wells Fargo restriction because they actually got it removed 
Right. Um, well, uh, for, yeah. For the that, purpose of making these small business loans. And that's, yeah, that was another thing I was going to mention was it seemed like it actually could have been a little bit of a tailwind for them, perhaps. Yeah. And, and Wells Fargo, it's it's kind of interesting to mention, was the bank out of those three that got really crushed last week. And there's mm-hmm. a good reason for it. Um, in JP Morgan and Bank of America both have big investment banking operations. So while they're the heart of their business, you know, the consumer banking stuff is getting crushed. A silver lining is that trading revenue and stuff like that tends to pick up in volatile times. Yeah. So not only did the trading revenue look great in the first quarter because of the, just the March kind of, you know, market downturn created a lot of, you know, volume. You're going to see this kind of reflected throughout the year. Wells Fargo, on the other hand, does not have investment banking. They're pretty much like a normal savings and loan. Yeah, they're more, they're big, they're big cash cow is mortgage banking, right? I mean, that's where they make a lot of their money is on that mortgage side. Yeah, they have mortgage banking. They have a big auto lending operation. My auto loans under Wells Fargo, for example. Oh. Um, yeah, Wells Fargo is one of the, I think the number two. Uh, it's between them and Ally Financial. They're the number one and two in the country for auto loans. Um, so they have a big auto lending operation, which obviously that's not a great business to be in right now. <laughs> who's who's buying cars at the moment? Not many people. Uh, not many people. And, yeah. and I mean, the auto manufacturers are so desperate for business. They're they're offering excellent financial terms themselves, to, which I got to think is taking whatever business is there away from the banks. I saw yeah. GM, for example, is doing eighty-four months zero percent financing. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I have a, I have a Ford Explorer that I got uh, five years ago or something. When I got that five years ago, even the Ford dealership at the time, it was zero percent financing if you qualify. You know, if you have the credit score that qualifies. So, I mean, they they really haven't been able to witness any any long stretch where they could start. Boosting up that that lending side of the business very much on the auto side. I I, I mean I, you got to figure it's probably going to go on for a little while from here on out too. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time, and Wells Fargo is really going to bear the brunt of it in terms of the big three banks, just because they they are just a consumer bank. They don't have the benefit of you know good investment bank. I mean, and all these companies raising debt that's a a big part of it. Uh, if investment banking is uh, debt offerings, that's a good point. So yep. a lot of, I mean, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America are getting that tailwind too. So Wells Fargo's getting crushed, and it could. I mean, Warren Buffett said a while ago that Wells Fargo he thought was going to be the best performer over the next ten years, and if you believe him, now now could be a good time to take a look. Yeah, I, well, I mean, given their presence in the mortgage space, I mean, that's plausible at least. I mean, I you know, I certainly wouldn't dismiss Wells Fargo, particularly if Stephen Scharf really is able to to change the culture there to to really swing the culture back. Uh, from the problems that they witnessed uh, just just in these last few years, uh, you know, going back to that reserve data just for a minute because I thought this was just I, I I just enjoyed doing this I guess for whatever reason but that word reserve in Bank of America's call this quarter was mentioned forty eight times versus eleven times a year ago. And so I guess my point is that just that was really the common theme. That was the common thread in all of these calls. And that kind of goes back to my initial statement when we opened the show. It does feel like these banks are in a little bit of a better position, maybe mentally, uh, certainly from a balance sheet perspective. I think they came into this period of time with a little bit of a better sense of being prepared um, for really, really bad case scenarios. It sounds like they're all well capitalized. It sounds like they're all suspending their share buybacks for now. It sounds like they are going to continue paying the dividends, but the dividends are going to stay on the radar. They're going to make sure that they can afford them. And if they need to cut the dividend or 
you know, perhaps halt the dividend for a stretch time. I mean, that that's not off the table either. But, you know, I walked out of this. Uh, granted, I, I do think we're going to learn a lot more next earnings season. But it, I did, I do feel like at least just from a from a balance sheet perspective, from a mentality perspective, I feel like these banks are in a better position now. Um, and, and maybe that is thanks to what we went through uh, back in 2007, 8, and 9. Oh, sure. These are not the same financial institutions that you had in 2007. Um, I mean, they're the 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 worst case scenario that they have, the stress tests um, that, that they're put through every year. The worst case scenario is, you know, a lot worse than anything we're facing right now. Um, I mean, and this is just expected to be really a short term recession where the right. stress tests really look at like a deep prolonged recession. Which, I mean, even the most pessimistic people really aren't really aren't expecting this recession to last for like a year, for example. Yeah. Um, so. These banks are well capitalized to make it through. Um, they've halted their buybacks, which remember these were all approved for what you know, ten to twenty billion dollar buybacks each. Oh, um, yeah. the, the, by, the approved by the government, so they're they're in really good financial condition. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about them uh, making it through, but as far as profitability, that could be a concern. Yeah, well, so uh, you know, as, before we wrap this conversation up with these banks, I, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about just the. The lending standards and how these banks are approaching um, underwriting some of these loans. And J.P. Morgan, we we had read um, last week, or maybe it was it was late in the week before. But um, you know, they're they're really tightening up their lending standards and focused more on maintaining the lending base that they have, as opposed to bringing. You know, new loans in right now. I mean, this is a point in time where they're really they're becoming a little bit more strict on their lending standards, on their underwriting standards, aren't they? Yeah, and so uh, I mean, J.P. Morgan was the first to act so far. They did two big moves last week. Um, one, they tightened up their mortgage standards for new customers have to have a, a 700 FICO score and 20 percent down for a mortgage with J.P. Morgan, <clears throat> which makes sense. I mean, they're they're not cutting off new business, but they want the the you know the top notch customers coming in. Sure. We saw something very similar during the financial crisis where it was just tough to get a mortgage for a while if you weren't, you know, a prime credit borrower. Um, so we're seeing stuff like that uh, if and just for reference the normal minimum for a conventional mortgage is 620. So a 700 significantly higher than is normally required. Yep. Um, and then the second thing they did, they cut off um, home equity line of credit applications to everybody. Man. Um, I mean if you, if you have an existing line of credit with JP Morgan, they're honoring that. But they're not taking any new business, and it makes sense because a home a line of credit is a second lien on a house. If the borrower doesn't pay, the for, and the house is foreclosed upon, the first mortgage gets paid first. Yep. So it's considered a riskier type of borrowing. They're they're still processing refinances in large volume, which are first lien mortgages. So they're trying to kind of de-risk their mortgage portfolio. I could definitely see other lenders kind of follow suit here. Um, when you get into tough times, uncertainty is the is the enemy, and it, and they're really kind of trying to get rid of any uncertainty in their loan portfolio right now. Very understandable. Well, before we continue, a reminder for those of you looking for more stock ideas that now's a great time to check out our Stock Advisor service, where you get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month, Best Buys now, and a whole lot more. And why is it a great time? Because if you go to if.fool.com, you can take advantage of a special 50% discount for our industry-focused listeners. That's right, you are wonderful listeners, 50% off. you got to go check it out. So, go to if.fool.com. 
Check out Stock Advisor and all the great stuff it has to offer. I'm certain you'll like it. Okay, Matt, let's jump into a couple of listener questions we've gotten here recently. And we got an email from Cam. And Cam says, Hi, guys. I hope you're keeping safe, well, and managing to stay sane. I have a question about StoneCo. I know it's not part of the war on cash basket, but it's definitely in that space, and it's looking very downtrodden right now at only 28 times uh, P.E. It showed huge growth in the last earnings report, and on top of that, Warren Buffett owns a significant slice of it. I love the digital payment space, especially in emerging markets. Am I missing something here? Because it looks like there's some great tailwinds here over the next 10 to 20 years. And Cam goes on to say, also, I'm going to be I'm going to be cheeky and ask another question, if I may. You guys talk about looking at the balance sheet, and especially so in the current environment. What are things I should be looking for? Obviously, how much cash and debt, but what is a good level? Are there any rules of thumb? Thank you so much for keeping the podcast going. It's honestly one of the highlights of my day as I live on my own. I absolutely love it, and the analysis is priceless. Cam, thank you very much for those kind words. I can tell you we're thrilled to be able to keep bringing you these podcasts and, and uh, knowing that you're listening and getting a lot out of it. It means a lot to us. And so we want to tackle this question. And Matt, let's go ahead and jump into StoneCo first here, because this is a company that you and I have both looked at before. Um, yeah, I mean, StoneCo, it's having a tough year, down uh, around 40%. 40%. And uh, it's it's understandable, I guess, from the perspective this is really all Brazil. That's their market. Um, and the coronavirus is shutting everything down. So Brazil is, is one of the more affected countries in, in Latin America uh, right now due to the coronavirus. What What's your take on StoneCo at this point? Well, it's down for a reason. Um, I mean, we've seen kind of a similar down downswing in Square, which I, I, I call Square the kind of I guess closest parallel in the U.S. market to StoneCo um, in terms of what they do, like just payment processing for businesses. Um, so in Brazil, you have businesses shut down, but they don't really have the the same financial help that they're getting here in terms of like you know the, the forgivable loans to businesses under the under the Paycheck Protection Program and things right. like that. So it's down for a reason. Um, and plus, Brazil, I'd say, I mean, I'm not. Our, our coronavirus response hasn't been perfect, but Brazil's also not in a great, as good of a position as some other countries to fight the disease. Um, it does have some great long-term tailwinds, but it's down for a reason. In the meantime, it's going to be quite a roller coaster ride until this pandemic goes away. Um, I would add it to the basket, but I'd take I'd take a nibble rather than a big bite. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I look at Stone, and I think it's it's one worth considering in the context of a basket. But if I was looking to make investments in the payment space, I don't know that I would be looking at StoneCo as some big, you know, sort of of uh, bedrock holding in my portfolio in regard. Because again, I mean, it is a it is a limited market at this point. I mean, it really is Brazil. That's where they make their money, and um, it's not to say that they can't or won't expand their market. But you have to at least acknowledge the fact that for right now, they are. Uh, dealing with one specific market that is is certainly going through its own set of challenges, uh, but but to Cam's point, you know they did they did uh, release some very good metrics here at the beginning of the of March when they released earnings. I mean, total payment volume growth was uh, close to fifty two percent. So clearly, people are using the platform, and more money is going through it. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, the about the balance sheet question there, Matt? What what do you look for when you try to assess a company's balance sheet to say is this healthy or should I be concerned? Um, in the context of the current pandemic, is it's kind of where I assume that question is coming from. I look for liquidity. It's not just the balance sheet; it's the ability to borrow as well. Um, for, I, I 
you know, I look at a lot of real estate stocks, so it's a lot easier in real estate than it is with banks. But like, for example, if a company has say 300 million in cash on its balance sheet and it can, it has a credit line of a billion dollars, then it has $1.3 billion of, of total liquidity. And that's what I look at when it comes to making it through a tough time like this. Um, I look at liquidity, uh, <laughs> debt. I mean, obviously you want a company with no debt. Um, if I, Stone Co., I'm not really familiar with their balance sheet. I'd love to answer that a little more specifically with them. But I, I look at you know how much money is on their balance sheet, how much debt, and how much they can borrow is, is kind of the big thing that I think people overlook in a situation like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's nice to find companies with no debt. Um, you know, I, I think that if they do have debt, you just want to make sure they can manage that debt. You look through that coverage ratio to to make sure that the operating earnings can cover the interest expense on an annual basis. And typically, with payments companies, they're a bit more of a of a recurring revenue stream, so they're a little bit more protected. It it looks like in Stoneco's case, I mean, there's it, it very, very modest debt on the balance sheet, uh, net debt position, five hundred million or so. So, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them in, in a class of, uh, you know, companies we should be concerned at, uh, about in regard in regard to the balance sheet. I mean, I think more it's a question of the market that they serve and how long uh, this this downtime is going to last. But we shall see, I guess. Uh, we had another question here, Matt, and this came to me on Twitter the other day. It's a question from Vivan Bala. And he says, Hi, Jason, I hope you're doing well. I had some questions about making it big during a financial crisis like this. I've heard a lot of people say that people become rich during times like these. And this was also the case during the financial crisis of 2008. Can you help me with what I should be doing as of now? To get on top of this game and leave my nine to five life behind forever, and Matt, I wanted to bring this question over because you know I, I there are a lot of good things to take away from this question here, and, and the thing that stood out to me, the, the the item that stood out to me was leaving that nine to five life behind forever. Um, but but let's let's address this for a second because I think I think Vivon brings up a couple of questions here that a lot of people are probably wondering and in you know we had the experience we had the good fortune you know honestly to go through that great recession um, a little bit more than a decade ago and experience that and we've been investing for a while and you know I, I feel like maybe based on what he's hearing from other people that might be an oversimplification like this is where you become rich during times like these 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 are definitely times of opportunity. Um, but I, I also don't want it to sound like this is where you get rich quick so that you can then quit work and just go live your life playing golf and sitting by the pool drinking Mai Tais, right? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, if you, if you figure out if someone, if anyone listening has figured out how to make enough money to do that, then I mean, let me know because <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly haven't. But, um, no, the, the, the thing I, I would tell people is that. This is a great time. People do become rich because of crises like this and the financial crisis. I mean, let's not lose sight. There is real suffering going on. This is not a pleasant situation for anybody, so I don't want to glorify it. But the reason people become rich off things like this is buying great companies at low prices and holding on to them for years and years and years. Right, and that's it. It's not getting rich overnight. This is where you lay down the groundwork. Right. I mean, when I bought shares of Bank of America in the financial crisis, I didn't become rich instantly off of it, but it's become a pretty nice gain in my portfolio over the past 10 years or so. Yeah. So it's not about getting rich quick. It's about getting rich slowly. Yep. Um, and 
this is a good opportunity to do that. But if you're looking to quit your nine to five by by buying stocks, I I, I wish you luck. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. I mean, I think for me, I look at it and think, you know what? Let's not begrudge the nine to five life. I mean, there can be. I mean, the nine to five life that's gonna that's gonna let you support yourself and live your life and grow and save and invest. I mean, you want that nine to five life because that that enables you to continue to invest. You get the money to continue investing like that. And I mean, when you when you look at what happened during the Great Recession, I mean, we saw the S&P lost approximately 50% of its value uh, at the lows there. And the Dow hit uh, hit around 6,500 at the low points of the Great Recession. And I mean, we were we were close to 30,000 on the Dow here before, before um, you know, the coronavirus impact. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that's that's it. It's like this is where wealth is created. Times like these are where wealth is created. But it's a matter of you need to understand that that wealth is going to be created over long periods of time. This is where you buy into those awesome businesses. But that's only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation, and perhaps the most important part of it, is time. And and that is that is where you have to be patient and understand that you know you're going to leave that nine to five life behind forever at some point. But you know, if you're young and able to work, um, I mean, you want to keep doing that. You lay the groundwork as an investor so that when you're ready to leave that nine to five life behind, when you're 50 or 60 or whatever age, then you know you're going to have that portfolio that you've been investing in all along the way and taking advantage of depressed times like these when when a lot of these great companies are on sale. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's. It's it's a long game. This is a great long term entry point. But as far as, I mean, I I don't know what the market's going to do. It could go down from here if we get the wrong news with this virus. This is another thing that's interesting to point out. Very true. I mean, it's entirely possible we retest the lows and you lose some money in the in the intermediate term. So I'd, I'd caution playing the short game here. Yeah, and I think you and I would both agree that if. We do see the market retest lows at some point here later on in the year. You and I, I think, would agree that would represent uh, more opportunity to invest. Yeah, but again, for a long term, for a long term invest, exactly. I mean, and that's I've what bought, we are. I've bought more aggressively in the past few weeks than I have since the financial crisis. Yeah, I don't expect any of them to do well in the short term. If if anything, I expect them to go down and up and down and up and be a real roller coaster and cause me some more gray hair in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't expect any of them to do well in the in the immediate term. I, I expect these are companies that are going to be well positioned after the after the pandemic's over to get back to business and be as strong as ever and make money over the next decade or two and and, and you there'll be the examples I use when we have another crisis to to reference the right way to invest is kind of my hope here. Not Precisely. that they're going to make me rich and let me retire next year. There you go. Well, good question, Vivan. I hope we've uh, we've been able to help shed a little bit of light on that for you. Uh, okay, Matt, we're going to wrap it up here, but before we do, let's just jump into wants to watch. What is uh, what's the stock you're watching here this coming week? Well, I would say um, American Express is a stock I'm watching. Um, they report earnings Friday. Uh, ticker is AXP. Um, credit card debt. I kind of alluded to this earlier. Is a very kind of recession prone type of debt, as in when people have trouble paying their bills, they tend to pay their mortgage and their auto loan and, you know, things that could potentially get repossessed if they don't pay before they go, they pay their credit card debt. Um, Credit card delinquencies are even under in good times are higher than most other forms of debt. And for that reason. So when recessions hit, they tend to get hit more than anything. And we've seen the credit card stocks really take a nosedive. 
Um, I like American Express because one, they have a very kind of a high a high quality portfolio of debt compared to some of their peers. Um, the average American Express cardholder is is a higher income person, for example, um, more likely to have a job that's not being disrupted right now. Just on on average, right. um, th- they also have a huge small business um, clientele. Um, most businesses I know have an Amex, um, so. Yeah. So that's another part of the portfolio that's been kind of a lot of – there's a lot of uncertainty around it. I think the um, government assistance to small business is going to get expanded this week. I think that's going to end up being less of a concern, you know, businesses paying their debts than the market seems to think it is. And, I mean, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, so take that with a grain <laughs> of salt. But I, I've been an American Express shareholder for years, and um, I don't plan on selling any. And that's one, I'm watch- that's one high on my watch list to – potentially add to during all this. Good stuff. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on Traveler's Insurance, ticker is TRV. Uh, Traveler's earnings come out Tuesday morning. The stock is down about 25% this year, basically flat now over the last five years. Um, I'm going to be really interested, just interested to hear how they're viewing the business in the face of these current conditions. Um, I mean, insurance companies, pretty pretty easy business to understand. Uh, but you know, we look at a lot of these insurance companies, and a lot of value is created from share buybacks along with dividends. And their share counts down twenty percent since two thousand and fourteen. They yield three point one percent on the dividend. So I'd like to hear management's thinking on capital allocation in the coming year and how they're viewing uh, the claims environment. Um, you know, that's a company where I, I actually used to work at Travelers and still have a bit of a fondness for the big umbrella. So that's the one I've got on my radar. But I think that's going to do it for us this week, Matt. I uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Hope that weather shapes up for you down there in South Carolina soon. Yeah, I hope I get to come see you guys and, and enjoy your Virginia weather sometime soon. But who knows when that'll happen? Yeah, we'll open up HQ eventually, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. But I guess that is still to be determined. But remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus or drop us an email at IndustryFocus at Fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to our man Austin Morgan for all his hard work behind the Zoom. From Matt Frankel and Jason Moser, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 